for books. Um, welcome to the Unemployables. Um, it's a melting pot of ideas where we bring visionaries, entrepreneurs, and tech vagabonds onto the show, and we get a talking now. We get to see new perspectives and to kind of see where the balls were rolling and how the world's okay. And today we brought an extraordinary woman from Bula Wales, Zimbabwe. Um, Kim Wanya, or what the night Kim Wanya. Um, she's an amazing entrepreneur that's been making moves. Um, career started really early off as a freelancer, and she's actually really been the, been part of the pivotal folks over at Tech Village, as they've sort of brought techpreneurship um, alive in not just in Zimbabwe but in Southern Africa as whole. So we're here to actually describe to discuss her life, um, philosophies, as well her perspectives around the world of technology, diversity, and the overall evolution of Africa's position in the global entrepreneurial arms race. All right, um, Kim, how are you? Hi, Kobe, how are you? I'm super dope, man. I'm super dope. Always keeping it chill here. So, I really want to start this with a superhero 101 story, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you do your story, did it... Your story with tech and design, did it start in university or it started way before? And kind of describe that. <laughs> okay. Uh, it started... Okay, it started actually when I was still in primary school. So um, we had this old computer. It was a, it was a Pentium 4, I remember. And I used to love spending most of my time on it, just exploring and doing, I don't know, anything and everything that could be done with a computer. And I was a crazy gamer at that time. <laughs> it is, um, so that's when I fell in love with computing and I was like, I would love to do this for the rest of my life. And by the time I was going to high school, I kind of knew that I loved computing so that's when the tech side of things started kicking in and then um, when it comes to design uh, I've always been that person who is fascinated by form over functionality I really care about how something looks and how it makes people feel so I started doing computing in okay in form one I think but I took it for my O levels when I was at Eaglesville I took it for my O levels and for my A levels so I was always that one student who would really focus on my interfaces to make sure that they are nice and they're a pleasure to look at and not just uh, the back end of things you know so that's when I I figured that I really care about back when you were this young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Inspirations. <laughs> exactly. Uh huh. Uh huh. So, um, yeah, that, that's where the love started for tech and design, I guess. Wow, that's beautiful. Then I actually want to kind of understand like how your, your mind was thinking back then. Was it, um, were you in? inspired by art before this or when you saw um, computers and you saw and you saw how these information systems interact with humanity you saw that maybe 
there's another way to express yourself there. Where did your probably um, your 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 love with expressing yourself begin? Uh, do you have any painters you probably follow, or wow, it, it started off with uh, the uh, ones and zeros, and that's where you <laughs> began. I don't know. Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> I did so I did a bit of art in high school and I wasn't an exceptional artist really. I was very average. Um I, I don't know where, where this where this um interest started, but I did know that I really wanted to venture into the software world because um i was just inspired and fascinated by how things worked and how you could automate things it was really interesting to me so i knew that i wanted to do computer science at a level that i wanted to study it um in college my dream was to actually go to mit <laughs> but then life happened i wanted to go to mit and study um electrical yeah i wanted to study electrical engineering and computer science <laughs> yeah but then um i ended up going to nast i still took up computer science and i still enjoyed it i knew from high school that i wanted to to study computer science because by then i didn't know um about user experience design i just knew software engineering so i was like hey i like this so i might as well do it wow wow that that's actually really interesting to see kind of like how this how your origin and your beginnings actually kind of really intermix like this it's i can say it's it's actually quite rare for someone in zimbabwe to have mit ambitions um, was this spurred on by family by any chance or did this come internally maybe did you watch the social network and say oh my gosh really think uh Kobe, something about me is i'm a big dreamer i i i think of the beautiful unimaginable i guess um so growing up um i have an aunt who's a psychiatrist so growing up i knew that she was a doctor and I, I always said, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a doctor. That's until um, I, I learned about computer computers and stuff. So, yeah, that's where my, my love came from. And when I was in high school, I did my own research on, on the best universities to attend if I wanted to study computer science slash software, software engineering. Yeah. So I had this whole list of colleges that I wanted to attend. I even applied to some of them, I remember, under the, um, I think it was called USAC. It's, it's, a, it's a program by the, um, by the U.S. Embassy Students Department, something like that. I even applied to some colleges, but then, yeah. who I didn't meet the criteria in terms of grades. Hello, sorry, sorry, I lost you there. It's all right. Um, so I was saying that um, I even I applied... USAP. Oh yeah, no, no, not USAP. There's USAP and there's another one. Um, I, I I applied through the other one, and I think I actually got. Oh. Yeah, I think I actually got um admitted into one of the the colleges. It was a community college though, um, but I didn't see it through because um they didn't provide they didn't provide financial aid and whatnot so i ended up looking for other options yeah so uh, my my family 
uh, is very supportive in that regard i mean they they allowed me to to be what i wanted to be so yeah i i can't say they gave me pressure to be in a certain you know that freedom that freedom of career engagement and career aspiration is rare especially from the generation that our parents came from oh yeah um, i talk with entrepreneurs all the time and they tell me of the resistance that they face when when talking to their parents about their ambitions when talking about their aspirations and their dreams and how discouraging it feels to have the greatest people in the world to look up to down upon so that also brings me up to hems africa um in hems africa you came in there is an it intern and then you kind of set up a department um that was that was really crazy it's kind of crazy to see such impact and such change things that we had quite a way in convincing people and the worth of your beliefs um can you tell me a bit about that experience at hems africa wow um okay so for starters um when i was in my second year i i kind of didn't really apply to many places uh i think i applied to maybe five places because you know you need to go for attachment and stuff like that but with hems africa i didn't apply there my cv was was sent by the department and i remember it was it was in may of yeah. of uh must be 2017 and then i was in the middle of my uh exams and i got a call from hems africa they're like um hi are you able to come for an interview tomorrow yeah. i'm like what interview okay <laughs> and i didn't have any uh, i didn't have any formal clothing whatsoever so i had to like i i remember i had just come from an exam in the morning and then that afternoon i went to my friend's place and she gave me her dress <laughs> so that i could have something to, uh, formal to wear for the interview um i went for the interview the following day and i was the only yeah i was the only one who was there so and then i was interviewed by the managing director himself and not by the hr department or anything so he was like um i got a couple of cvs from your school and i liked yours particularly because of um your experience you've got this um entrepreneurial um things that you've been taking on and i can see that you've got initiative in you so i didn't even call anyone else for an interview i want you so when do you want to start and how much do you want and that's basically how my interview went <laughs> so <laughs> i really don't have experience <laughs> <laughs> I really don't have that much experience with um with interviews because I I think that's one of the few I think that's the only yeah. job interview that I've been to, you know. <laughs> so yeah, um it it was quite great. Um, my experience at wow. at Hans Africa. Yes. So the the managing director Mr. Paradzai, he is like a father figure to me. He 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 takes on a role of a mentor so he knew from the onset that i want to start my own business and i explained my vision to him so he set me down i remember at some point and he explained um yeah. how 
things work in the business world and the things that I have to consider. So till this day, when I need advice with anything, I can really call him up anytime and be like, Mr. P, can you help me with this? How do I go about this? And yeah, it's, it's really great. Uh, in terms of the tasks that I had to take on when I was there, it wasn't easy because I was just coming from college with a largely um, back-end background uh, because we did mostly coding and project management kind of courses and stuff. So when I got there, this is an engineering firm. What, what they really wanted was for the systems to be automated from admin to operations to whatnot. And I had to start from scratch. So I was kind of taking in uh, the roles of a whole department as one person. But the good thing is I had support from management. Okay. Yeah, in terms of if I needed any resources or if people needed any training, I got um, the green light from management. So it made my job really easy. It was very challenging because, I mean, I was working with people who were used to doing things a certain way. And um, this uh, 20 two-year-old was trying to introduce something new i mean it was a bit challenging but um it was good it was like it was like i was thrown into the deep end and 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 i, and I made my way out so I, I don't regret anything about that wow you, you really sound like margaret the actor of britain's iron lady um your head stroke Really? Um, and, and get chucked into the deep end. Yeah, um, yeah 100%. It, it seems that you're, you're, you're really willing to get chucked into the deep end and you're willing to come back fighting. That's, that, that, that's amazing. That's really amazing. <laughs> Thank and I'm you. sure this came in handy later on in your career as an entrepreneur because doors get slammed into you and you just got to keep on getting up. Now okay. I actually want to move on to... Your, the beginnings of your entrepreneurial career, like your, uh, like with Tech Village, how the hell did you find Tech Village? Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, <laughs> well, how is your role playing in the origins of Tech Village? Ah, uh, right. Okay. Um, I was in my first year of college, so I've always been someone who's um, interested in. Okay, when I see a gap, I, I like to to fill it or to I like to fix things when, when I see there's a problem. So, I was at this expo in college. I don't remember what it was for. And um, I overheard a friend of mine. His name is Chris. Uh, he was a part of the tech village. Then it was still called Neolab, Neolab Technologies. So, he just... Uh, said something in passing yes. something around the li- uh, the lines of um, at at Neolab we have we have great minds we don't think this small I don't know what he was referring to at that time but it, it really got my attention and I was like hmm Neolab what's this about so I went to him and I'm like Chris um, what's Neolab about and then he's like uh, it's just um, a collective of entrepreneurs who are trying to solve problems through you know technology and different uh, things and stuff like that so i was like oh cool um how can i join 
So he was like, um, okay, I'll link you up with Takunda, Takunda Chingonzo, the, the, the founder of, of Neolab. So I was like, okay, cool. So yeah, um, I think a few days later, I met with TK and we had a conversation. So he was like, uh, what do you want to do? So I was like, at this point, I'm not sure what exactly I, I want to do, but what I know is that I I really love entrepreneurship. I want to solve problems using technology. And he was like, okay, cool. Um, there's something that I've been working on. Um, that's when he introduced me to Neon. It was still in its baby stages, so to say. So um, that's how... I started working on Neon, so it was, it was now um, TK and I working on Neon, and I was also part of the dev shop, which was the uh, like the software the dev shop. It was a software development branch of the of Neolab, so to say. So I was a part of that team as well, being a being a, a computer science student. So yeah um that's that's how my journey with tech village started so it was like a a family of these geniuses you know <laughs> working on so many ideas supporting each other uh yeah 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 it was it was it was great it really made me appreciate um i don't know to appreciate technology because you see uh the, I had a certain yeah. understanding. Yeah, I had an understanding of you know the benefits of technology and whatnot. But when I got to the tech village, it was like next level. You know, <laughs> the tools that they were using, they are things that I wouldn't have just discovered on my own. I wouldn't have done so easily. So yeah, that's how my journey started with the tech village, and I started learning the business aspect of things. Ah, I remember with Neon, that's when um, there's a time I had to do my my pitch, like my very first pitch. Okay, not very first per se, but very first in front of this yeah. huge crowd. It was, was it to customers or vendors or was it? Ah, it was at, um, what was the event? It was sort of, um, I've forgotten the event, but it was an expo for startups that was it was it was an event held by the yeah. ministry of ICT I think so I I didn't I was just told about it in the afternoon and I quick I prepared a quick slide went there and I was so I was uh, exhibiting neon and we we had the most votes so people would vote for uh, the startup that the they liked and we had the top votes so i had to go and pitch which i was very scared of because i am a shy person i do not like public speaking at all <laughs> so i had to do that in front of these ministers and these government officials i was so scared but anyways i did it uh i was shaking most of the time and i got a bit of negative feedback and i uh not yeah like i got good feedback and bad feedback but then at that time i hadn't learned how to take negative feedback and use it constructively so you know when i got it um it really put me down um i remember i i i wanted to cry when i left that place yes i got a certificate and whatnot one a couple of things but then i really felt like there was no 
like it, I wasn't meant for this, you know, since I couldn't just pitch something to people and convince them to, to, to believe in what I was doing. Yeah. And I was down for a week. Like all I wanted to do was sleep and cry, <laughs> but it was, it was a learning curve. It was a learning curve because now when I get, when I get negative feedback, I'm like, okay, okay. So how can I use this? um to improve my service or my product so yeah that's that's my story with the tech village um we talk you're talking about negative feedback there i want to ask do you think that um um of course i'm not trying to be offensive but do you think that the tech village was too much of a site uh, a silo that maybe you guys never exposed yourselves and your ideas to uh, enough people with um, differing mindsets or specialities because I, I can see Tech Village is probably like an amazing like um, um, boffin club where have like these amazing smart tech bros and tech, tech gals in one place mm-hmm. but then maybe other, other guys in sales or business analytics weren't there I, I kind of want to know do you think that's why you got such big pushback and you weren't prepared for the pushback? Oh, tell me yeah. your reason why you think so. Uh, you're right. I, I think, yeah. Um, I think the fact that we were this kind of family and it was, I, I guess, I, I don't know how to put it. We kind of, okay, let me speak from my experience. You know, anything that I wanted, I would just get it within the village. I didn't really, of course, of course, of course yeah, of course. Of course of course, I would get um, um, assistance or help from some people outside the village, but it was mostly centered within the village. So um, a couple of friends of mine approached and like, you know, you guys are the tech village. You kind of seclude yourselves. You don't really include the community and stuff like that. And when I reflected on it, 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 it kind of made sense from an outsider's point of view. That's how they saw things. So I'm sure um, they uh, they changed their model in the tech village. I'm no longer part of them, but I'm sure they changed that and became more um, of course. Uh, community-centric and stuff like that. But yeah, I think that, that could be a contributing factor. Okay. Okay, mm-hmm. that, I can I can see that, and I, and I really do think that probably a lot more community engagement would be needed, uh, as well as getting up uh, differing ideas and really hashing it out. Um, especially I I don't think this is just for tech players, but then in all entrepreneurial circles, mm-hmm. um, I've seen the same things happen with um, VC circles, um, venture capitalist circles, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and. They of course have a really completely different view of startups in in Zimbabwe, um, and it's and for me it's like really shocking. It's now it's like, wow, it's it, this might be caused by a lot of si- siloing. What what of kind siloing. of views do they have? Now I want to understand. What kind of views did did these VCs have? What kind of views did VCs have? A lot of VCs thought that the majority of any t- the majority of tech companies were just more of um, 
novel novel projects they didn't see a lot of scalability first of all um margins they thought that the margins may have been too thin and maybe the, a lot of them were really conservative about it because oh. they had get been kind of exposed to what exactly was the possibility in terms of uh, what exactly was the possibility in terms of of expansion and and ch- on product iteration along the way um i was actually quite shocked a lot of them really wanted to um really wanted to focus a lot on brick and mortar and i was trying to explain a lot of like the, the classical things like it's an unnecessary overhead Mm-hmm. It, it clogs up your distribution system mm-hmm. and and etc but then they kept on faith they kept on falling back on the notion that take this to novel um africa hasn't changed enough africa yes has changed its, its embraced technology but mm-hmm. only to the bare minimum bare minimum utilitarian problem um of econet they said that yes but this was in the banking crisis of because we would have these targets to meet and stuff like that but it's also fun hey um, yeah it, it was fun it was fun <laughs> you get exposed to a lot of things in a short space of time that's yeah that's that's how it was like working with TK. so from your experience back in tech village fast is technological environment um I also noted something that was unfortunate um uh, was unfortunate was I never got to see my scale um I I was there I was watching your Twitter feeds your, your videos and, and etc but I never saw my scale uh, as a person who was in the hub at the time do you did you kind of kind of know why exactly we didn't see much market traction in some of the products you guys made some of the products your members made um well, I can't really speak much to that because I wasn't part of the core team. Um, I was more focused on Neon than than uh, Tech Village. But what I do know is that um, they changed their model. First of all, they rebranded from Neon Lab to Tech Village, right? And then they changed their model from uh, from just uh, people coming with their ideas um, to. I, I don't know what they call the model, but it's it's uh, there are a few startups that feed into the infrastructure of the they now call it the village innovation network and there's an accelerator. Oh, there are startups. Their model, their model. 
yeah they changed their model right and uh, they it's now called the village innovation network and there's an accelerator program within it and there's also the co-working aspect um and there's also the um, the services aspect whereby people can hire freelancers so i don't know how the whole model works but yeah that's all i know about how it's working now yeah uh-huh all right maybe i should have actually kind of brought this up in a different and similar fashion um what has been your biggest resistance about by corporations or by companies um larger firms that you guys want to sell your services to and say hey guys we see your product a b and c what if we could maybe change how you actually distribute it by adding this these layers of technology here or what if we actually change your product as a whole to now a digital immersive experience um what type what was the pushback that she fought from them was the the the, the, the forces of resistance within the way Wait, under under the Tech Village or under Neon? No, no uh, under Neon as you were trying to sell to these um, companies. I'm sure you were oh, okay. to, um, your company tried to service um, a call that you were trying to service other companies. Okay, um, the biggest challenge rather or the pushback that we had was that um, trying to sell the idea to to companies i mean they didn't see the value of telling them that okay hey instead of you using a gmail account for your whole business why don't you get corporate emails and start using these services to make your processes easier so it it was kind of um difficult to convince people to buy into the idea of what neon wanted to to achieve um those are some of the challenges that um i personally faced especially uh, if you remember i mentioned to you that yeah. i i am a i'd say i'm an introvert so selling doesn't come naturally to me i have to yeah <laughs> so um uh, that was the main challenge that that that, that i faced when i was with neon but also um there are some people who who knew some of the work that had been done by neon so would get some clients through referrals and or some people that knew me personally they'll come through and want those services so made my job kind of easy oh, oh. yeah but then now I want to come back to the value part I want to come back to the value part um um i'm not trying to uh, of course some thing is um what was technology in africa of course mm-hmm. is very difficult to implement because of the overlying structures for example um lack of electricity limited internet broadband and you've got a customer base that usually doesn't transact online right. a lot of its phone calls a lot of its handshakes and a lot of its i know you and you know me yes yes I'm wondering what's the value I'm wondering like I'm I'm just being devil's advocate here but how do you think technology distribution like services like what Neon could be or Neon could give to companies could be more tailored to 
the African's needs and wants and how different do you think the African African business person or the African corporates needs to maybe their counterparts back in the states um, yeah just maybe just thinking do you see any differences in need that you think oh, yeah. that maybe you guys could have hey oh um, yeah uh, I understand totally yeah, tell me. totally so okay when a pro when it's b2b like uh when we approached businesses that would be different because businesses would have already um taken into consideration the aspect of power cuts and internet costs and whatnot so that wasn't a challenge but then when it came to consumers individuals yeah um even people with who are just starting businesses, it was a bit difficult because if you tell them, okay, I can give you this service at um, maybe ten dollars, ten US dollars per month. Yeah, you need to be checking your email frequently, which is something they're not used to. I mean, business in Zimbabwe is conducted on WhatsApp, uh, calls, and Facebook, so. I think maybe what what it's it's very true hey um there are statistics actually to prove it how most yeah. of of users in Zimbabwe are on Facebook and most business is conducted on Facebook so um things like that I I, I don't remember really doing market research on it as as I told you I was still learning it was like my first experience trying to run a startup so to say so um and it was only tk and i at the time so it was it was a lot of there was a lot of learning to be done so but at this stage i now know that you need to do thorough um market research you know who are your target audience what do they have access to what are they willing to buy you know stuff like that so yeah i think a bit more market research was needed in that um aspect beautiful then now i want to understand um what is your vision i understand that you ended up leaving um eon and went on to found this amazing company called um e-design mm-hmm. i've seen some of your work and 100 it's fabulous thank you and uh, yeah what what's the vision for that what's the what's what's the vision <laughs> okay um so we want to become more of a sales company and we want to add on to our service provision and venture into something called intelligent interfaces which basically merge human-centered design and machine learning in order to provide more intuitive um, interfaces yeah so we're looking into that that's that's the route that we want to take on top of our current service provision this reminds me of a company called yeah it reminds me of a company called slide beam um their company um their venture back company i'm based in um corporate south american company a country mm-hmm. but they 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 have an ai based um system that creates slides for you so pitch decks um it's usually used by entrepreneurs and startups and it's got this whole intuitive um ai learning um 
design aspect and I was like wow oh yeah the applications of the technology are way more than this would be used oh yeah interior decorating and etc now I want to know from your perspective as a person knee deep in the industry what do you think is the future of, of, of design and how do you think or which spaces do you think that um, artificial intelligence will need to use to, to, to boost it to oh, okay. Okay, um, so the whole goal of uh, design from the UX perspective is to make life easier for the person who's going to be using that uh, product, that digital product, right? Be it a mobile app or a web app. So that's where uh, AI comes in. AI, I mean... If you look at machine learning it's we're basically looking at the person's behavior behavioral patterns and trying to hello yeah so it's we with ai we're looking at um a person's yeah. a person's Not behaviors bad. and how they like to do certain things so combining those two aspects of machine learning and design i mean it will create beautiful experiences for people because all a person wants to do is to be able to complete a task you know if 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 i go on an online store i just want to find a product and buy it in a seamless way and have my product delivered to me i don't want to go through thousands of pages before i can buy one thing online you know so uh that's where machine learning comes wow. in yeah yeah so it really feels like yeah. creating the spotify experience with everything exactly so um there's this um article that we're working on on the the banking experience in in zimbabwe most banking platforms are really not friendly i remember i wanted to do a transaction um from my bank to another bank but there were so many options i didn't even know where to start i was so frustrated i ended up not doing it and i had to call them and they took me through that whole process so i yeah so that's the the the, the problem that we're trying to 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 fix it be designed because we've got an abundance of talent in in terms of uh, software developers and design but there hasn't really been anyone who has been looking at things from the users and 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 it's mostly from the business aspect the company wants abc so abc is delivered but yeah. have, have they looked at what that company's customer wants because the happier the client, you know, the more business you get. So, yeah, that's the angle we're taking as we designed. Yeah. This kind of reminds me of the issue of car um, car selling sites. I believe uh, um, Michael Sebe is one of the partners at uh, One Combinator. He pointed out that you kind of need to actually understand who the site is being made for. So usually, for example, banks in Zimbabwe, they don't really have that large of a, a technical team outside of cybersecurity. Most of their, mm-hmm. their, so most of their resources are focused on the individual banking transactions that they hold. Mm-hmm. So 
I think when they actually went to the external designers, they probably prioritized making it easy to use for the internal team instead of the, of course, Spot hundreds on. of those people who use their bachelor platform. You and are 100% now, correct. Yeah, so now there comes the question. Now is the question of this bank, how would you, how do you think this bank gets in incentivizing creating an ecosystem when the most the majority of Zimbabweans still transact at brick and mortar stores people queue up on brick and mortar stores because mm-hmm. of course for the necessity of cash mm-hmm. but the majority of bank transactions are still happening physically mm-hmm. and this brings up a wider question in Africa the majority of our transactions and interactions with businesses are happening physically mm-hmm. what do you think or take us what do you think is the key to taking us to the tipping over tipping tipping over stage where we can have more consumer inflow into um into like um into the digital realm where people start to transact more online where we can have uh, people shop online more and it's actually the, the list goes on okay um so first of all the this pandemic has really forced people to appreciate technology i was uh, a few weeks ago i was i was teaching my mom how to use zoom she would have never downloaded that app on her phone so if you see something like that happening that means we're going to see a shift in the positive direction i mean more people using um technology because they've seen the convenience now and like for right now people now know that you don't have to go to zesa to buy um your electricity token you can do it from home on your phone of course you need data but it's better than having yes. to find transport to get into town queue and then go back home so um that's something positive that has happened and um the urban population is slowly catching on to the importance of using online platforms with um, their uh, companies like um, Fresh in a Box, they're really being disruptive. I love what they're doing. You know, you can now, I've, I've even used them myself a couple yes. of times. You can order your groceries online, they get delivered to you as opposed to you yep. going to five different stores. Yeah, so I think we're getting there. Our trajectory might not be as desired, but we are slowly getting there so um us as businesses we just have to ride on that wave let's be ready when the market catches on you know let's be well positioned for that and um question again i'm so sorry i come at these quite 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 rapidly but do you think that by getting ready as as a startup business or as a tech center business in Zimbabwe, it actually means to go to the market instead of maybe come to them. I'm not saying go out and build stores, but I'm saying maybe understand exactly how the consumer interacts. For example, um, right to instead of bringing consumers onto maybe a website or a landing page, what if you were to use bots and and tailor the the WhatsApp purchasing experience in a way that's smooth and concise so that the consumer doesn't need to go through the additional expense of purchasing data and etc 
right. um, or this could be done with with banking. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you would contact CBZ Bank and WhatsApp. You've got the WhatsApp chat bot, and you you can send money, and of course through your online transaction confirmation methods. I don't know. I'm not smart enough for that. Yet. <laughs> Um, yeah. Uh, Kobe, you are very right in that aspect. Okay, so there are two points that I have um, as answers to that. First of all, um, from a human-centered design point of view, you do not start working on anything until you have done research. Of course, it's it's a, it's a it's an ongoing cycle, but you have to do a certain amount of research before both qualitative and quantitative before you work on a product. Why? Because you're going to build a product that's going to fail if you don't do your research. You wonder why people are not buying into your idea. It's because you made something for no one. You don't have like a, a user persona that you built that product for. So. Um, that's where many, I feel, that's where many um, uh, product development companies in Zimbabwe might be failing. I can give an example, I'll take a jab at the giant Econet. They have many products because they have the money to make those products. And um, many of those products fail simply because I feel they don't do research. They just feel like, okay, this is a good idea. Let's pump money into it. Let's make it. But it still fails. It, it, it fails to bring uh, a return on investment because they didn't do something as simple yeah. as um, doing market research, people... you know, and hearing what people want. Yeah, 100%. I think the biggest the super giant Econet is mainly, I wouldn't say it's doing market research, but it's it's testing you know like um for example i i, I can't deal on a startup uh, um here in cyprus called um Zipli. um mm-hmm. our goal is to um is to digit is to simplify the consumer buying experience so they, they can do it on all social media platforms so you could literally text somebody you could text the business and you could complete the entire financial transaction including delivery um mm-hmm. so that's what we focus on right and the thing is, we actually started, if, we, if I tell you how we started six months ago, six months ago, we wanted to be an international delivery company that helped you deliver packages through people's luggage. Mm-hmm. I, I made a, I made a quite a strong, compelling pitch video that I might send <laughs> you just afterwards. Okay. And, and the thing is, we, we tried that and the market told us that we should go kill ourselves. Mm-hmm. And... The thing is, we continually iterated slowly, bit by bit. Mm-hmm. I do believe that Econet really fails in the aspect of actually starting small, testing and tasting, oh, yes. and then scaling when they actually see product oh, market yes. fit. Exactly, um, exactly. That um, is very Can I ask you from your experience, how, how exactly do I identify um, product market fit? I think you've seen... Um, quite a few startups yourself, and also you worked at uh, you've worked on Hold It in your project. Do you think what's your advice on seeing product market fit? How do I know that I've that I've arrived at the scalable moment? Or, or do you ever? You you don't. I think you do once you do your research. Uh, 
Okay, I can't emphasize enough the importance of research and data. Uh, it's unfortunate that in in Zimbabwe it's kind of difficult to to gain access to to statistics and data. It's either that the, the stuff is not digital or it's not even existent. So that makes our jobs more difficult. But if data is available, then that's a starting point. Yeah. And then when it comes to research, you are not your customer, so you cannot guess what they will want. I cannot start making an app for kids without talking to kids and understanding what kids want because i was a kid 20 years ago so my my experiences have forgotten half of the stuff so i'd rather talk to kids and ask them what they prefer and whatnot before i start ideating you know so that by the time i get to the stage where i'm saying okay now i'm developing i would have tested the idea with the end users i'll know that okay there's a market that's willing to work with such and such a product so it's it's it seems like something trivial but it's it's a really really important step in the life cycle of a product any tech product in fact any product not just tech Exactly, and and it also reduces. Okay, I was about to say it also reduces um, your overall tech debt or your design debt, whichever way you look at it. Because if you spend the money, the amount of money you spend on research is going to be way less than the amount of money you're going to spend uh, on developers who are going to build a product that no one will want. So you'd rather uh, put your budget into research and then when that, when you finally reach a stage where you say, okay, these statistics are enough for us to proceed onto, the, onto designing the product, then you, then you go ahead. So it's also good for your budget to do enough research. Because <laughs> yeah. these things can be very expensive. They yeah, can, yeah. You know, they can. Mm-hmm. Then I want to ask you a question. You know, sure. You are a passionate woman. You have experienced sure. a lot. You 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 grab the world by the horns and put it in an arm lock. <laughs> <laughs> now I see you actually trying to do this for other women through your anger foundation. Um, yeah, your foundation that helps women. That helps women. In, in Africa to, to the deals to conquer the information. Can you tell me something about that thing you want to Ah, right. Okay. Um, you actually came at a very good time. So, Tech Empowerment is rebranding. Uh, not just rebranding. It's rather a rebirth into something else, which is going to be uh, tea in 60. Like tea, the the, 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 the liquid <laughs> in 60 so this is a platform a mentorship platform where a mentor and a mentee get to talk for 60 minutes 
um so i'm working on this with michelle maposa she's yeah she's she's she's, uh, she's a friend and a business partner so to say we kind of um work together on a children's book which will be launched pretty soon but okay um oh yeah, yeah i saw that I yeah saw yeah yeah i uh. really want to know more about t and 60 it sounds like sounds like something i wish i had i was just entering entrepreneurship oh yeah my friend munashi just one day told me hey man you mm-hmm. heard about this thing called business and i was like what the hell is that yeah yeah man just just share your share about that okay all right so with tn60 what we are trying to do is just provide a platform where um it's it's it's, it's targeted at girls and women where they can talk about uh their professional experiences so for example you'll find that um someone in high school is not sure what they want to do in college and they really don't have anyone to ask and they don't have access to certain professionals and at the same time professionals they want to help but then they don't have that much time to to let's say uh mentor someone on an ongoing basis for a year or something like that so um it's a it's a community that seeks to bring about the much needed uh, one-on-one conversations between girls interested in stem and women already in the field so in one in one hour girls either in high school or in college uh as well as those that are um yeah yeah in tertiary in university where they'll have an opportunity to discuss anything they want in the career of their choosing with a selected mentor so um we are planning to launch this platform in november um and we're already onboarding a few mentors so we're talking about industry leaders being on the platform because to them it's just a matter of dedicating a few hours in a month and for mentees uh you know they can gain access to any mentor of their choosing depending on the field so that's what we're doing um so just watch this space uh, yeah yeah um in november we'll be launching that's beautiful can I ask a few questions? Sure, sure. Okay. Um, I wanted to know about your your business provides one big one big problem that I see. Of course, not to be discouraging, but mm-hmm. the question of liquidity. Um, in a market in a market type business, bringing in liquidity on both sides, especially when one side has overwhelming leverage. So here you you've got this obviously a large demand for. Um, people want to get mentored by someone like Beatrice Mpetwa or or um we've got the lady the CEO or the CEO of Eco Cash uh-huh. but or now even I think this the chairman of Cassava uh-huh. yes yeah amazing women amazing right. women doing amazing things mm-hmm. now then there's like the Beatrice Mpetwa the CEO of Equity, CEO of Cassava, mm-hmm. these other amazing entrepreneurial and business juggernauts mm-hmm. all around the country. Mm-hmm. Um, there's only a small handful of them. How do you think you'll be able to onboard and bring enough of these um, these amazing mentor roles to the market? Do you have a strategy? Um, 
yes, we do have a strategy. Yeah, we we have a strategy. We are not just going to onboard anyone. They are going to go through a vetting process because otherwise anyone can just come and say, hey, I want to be a mentor, but they might not really be qualified. So we have a criteria that we use to to mentor them. And we are designing it in such a way that we have as many... So it's it's strictly Zimbabwean women. We want the girls to have Zimbabwean women to look up to because we can't be putting, um, you know, uh, someone who works at Facebook in the United States, someone who they can't relate to. So we want to put strictly Zimbabwean yeah. women so so that someone from uh, from from Gwanda, a girl from Gwanda, can look up there and see, okay, someone's story that they can relate to. And and sign and sign up and want to be a part of that community, and besides just having the uh, the, the that platform, we'll also have um, separate communities where these uh, ladies can keep communicating um, on. So these platforms will be on LinkedIn and Facebook, yeah, so that they can stay in touch, especially with what will be happening in their industries and whatnot, because we feel they, there isn't that much, um, yeah, we feel there isn't that much uh, communication between uh, those two groups. Yes, the two groups. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that's amazing. That's Thank really you. amazing. Thank um, you. My, my thoughts uh, uh, and my thoughts from watching other platforms in a similar space, they they kind of solve such a, such problems by creating incentives for these amazing. Of course, they're they're amazing people in their fields, but of course they're extremely busy. Mm-hmm. So by maybe incentivizing them with almost tax write-offs because it can be considered um, um, CSR, and then mm-hmm. with um, uh, advertising for their own products such as book deals and etc. So some of these people have books and other advertisements. So you can try to try and try and do that. Yeah, so thanks. Try and, um, help them boost their own. Uh, yeah, so definitely. We'll look into that. Thank you, hey. Yeah, that does that, grow and flourish because it was possible. Yeah, they don't up the platform because I'm thinking this may end up creating localization mm-hmm. of course of course you you do have these amazing women and you might make it free for all Zimbabwean women to mm-hmm. yeah. since because of the cost um, my mother's village in my mother's village in Gwanda mm-hmm. um, would never be able to, to, to join or, or see have you guys thought about um, cheapening or cheapening distribution methods or Different, different methods of, of community engagement. Or okay. that's still uh, something that you guys are working in the yeah, uh, yeah, we are, we are looking into it on how best we can also help people in areas where that's an issue. So yeah, it's something that we are working on to see how um, the corporate world might assist in such instances because we might have to go to those people and use a different approach uh, unlike with the uh, mentees that will be located in maybe urban areas or something like that. So yeah, we're looking into that as well. Yeah, okay, that, that does make sense. Yeah. Of course, maybe allow, I think maybe usually localizing with schools, of course partnering with the mini schools and 
Yeah, because uh, they're the one that actually need so that need that kind of guidance well, uh, more. Because mm-hmm. uh, there was never any career guidance or or life skills support in, in my experience in both private and public school. It was a free for all. You see now, yeah, <laughs> that's what's up. All right, now just rounding this all off, I just wanted to ask you a few questions. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got in Zimbabwe, we've got quite a, a lot of startups um, that we have popping up around. Yep. Um, started by old people and young people. Yeah, diversity, folks. Uh-huh. Diversity. <laughs> um, I wanted to know you from your perspective, and since you're an insider in the game, um, do you have any startups you're putting, setting your eyes on um, in Zimbabwe? And then we can start expanding. Yeah, uh, in Zimbabwe, I. I uh, like yeah. Tumeza. It's it's run by Gugu, Gugu Siso, and I know her. She's a friend. They they're doing some amazing stuff. Um, I know they recently got onto the Google Africa Accelerator Launchpad, something like that. Uh, it's it's a logistics company, and she she's oh. doing some amazing stuff. Yeah, she's she's trying to make the logistics process really um simplified for people and i like what they're doing they're, they're doing amazing work um and the other startup that yeah to me wow. t-h-u-m-e-z-a yeah um the other startup wow. that um i'm interested in rather is uh Rera technologies it's run by Bongani Masuku is one of is yeah. one of the directors, I think. Um, so then, agrotech company, and they won a part of the is it Seed Stars competition sometime last year, I think. They're doing some amazing work. I started knowing Bongani when I was in college. I was in first year, and he was in fifth year, and he was very passionate about his. He's, he's a brainiac, he's too genius. I mean, spend an hour with that guy, he's like a host of ideas. <laughs> if I was half as intelligent as that guy, I don't know, I would be, I'd be, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, um, they're doing amazing work. Uh, one thing I know that they're doing, uh, one thing I know that they're doing at Rera is they have the smart chicken feeders. So the whole uh, chicken, breeding process is automated and you can monitor it from your phone and uh, it's just amazing (laughs) so that's what uh, they've been working on that side I haven't really been following um, what they've been up to lately but yeah looks very promising oh oh, beautiful next time I know like as the continent as a whole as Africa Mm -hmm. you know any any beautiful startups that we should probably look at Congo, Egypt, uh, South yeah. Africa, I guess. Uh, yeah. Um, okay, there are two particular ones that are in East Africa that I think are worth taking a look at. So there is Mpost from Kenya. Oh, yeah. yeah, so uh, it's a platform that enables yeah. um, mobile numbers to be converted into office virtual addresses i i think that's like uh 
a, a need that they've really met so it allows notifications to be sent to clients whenever yeah. they get email through their postal addresses so yeah um i understand they raised some okay. funding yeah. yeah i don't know the figures of it but yeah they're worth taking a look at and then there's excess i don't know if that's how you, yeah. you pronounce it EXWS from Rwanda. So, um, what they did, these guys, is they took those, you know, the the savings groups that are usually done by by women in in small communities. So they took them online in order to yes. to make the process smooth and help uh, low income communities to be yeah. financially resilient. So yeah. Yeah, that that does. It does help a lot. Yep, I think we need that in Zen too. Yeah, especially in finance. Yep. Yeah, you could. Yeah, especially capital management. One hundred percent. Totally. Totally. Um. Um. In. Yeah. And then lastly, last we're going global. United States, Canada, British Columbia, Mexico. Tell me. Okay, uh, globally, there is one it's called Capacity. It's based in the United States, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so what they've done is they have used, they have this AI platform, which interlinks everything you need on one platform. So all your business processes, uh, put on one process on on one platform and it's backed by ai so yeah looks promising wow yep this platform is coming up i'm i'm really seeing a lot of these big platforms coming up and i think they're probably going to become the next container I think a lot of the consumer side, uh, the consumer side uh, uh, um, scenarios have been played out, but a lot of these digital platforms have really, really would have quite the, the possibility. Is it? Anyway, any last words to recommend to yeah. young, young burgeoning artists? <laughs> ah, last words. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um right i'll just speak from my own experience um i i haven't made it yet in my view i haven't made it yet i'm still yet to make it and um i'm working every day to get to where i want to be so that's the advice i'll give people who also want to um venture into entrepreneurship it's going to be really difficult to get some resistance from family uh for example i was expected to look for a job straight after college and i had to go against my mom's wishes (laughs) Yeah. yeah so you you come across such things so if you really um have your eyes set on something go for it there'll come times when you feel like you just want to stop i know it's it's a cliche people always say it don't give up but for real don't (laughs) if you really love what you're doing then do it to the best of your ability 
And there's also something that I've learned over the past few years that I've been doing this. Um, you kind of don't need money. It's not the only thing that you need for you to get started. Um, you know, uh, it's a factor, a huge factor, but have you done your groundwork? Is your business plan in order? Do you have your business model canvas so that when the opportunity for you to get money presents itself, you're well positioned. So yeah, before you start asking for money, make sure you've done your homework so that people will be willing to give you money for your idea. Um, yeah. And one last thing, we are in a country that, um, whereby being an entrepreneur is an extreme sport. You know, the business environment is too unstable and the policies are always changing. So those are some of the things that may make you want to give up. So um, I'll just encourage people to be very creative and find ways to, to keep pushing in this environment and not give up because uh yeah every every now and again you it will feel like the system is working against you so <laughs> just keep pushing man <laughs> that's all i have to say the grind never stops no, i guess your last words are great it great that makes you you are made by the sort of your own bloody hands yep. beautiful yeah <laughs> kim were a treat to have on the show. Thank you. I would love to have more sessions with you. Whenever <laughs> you do have time, whenever you do have time, you can tell us. And I'll love to talk to you for a few more weeks or months and maybe post launch about um, T. T60? Is it T60 or T60? T in 60. It's like having a, a conversation of a cup of tea in 60 minutes. T in 60. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I know I such an unconventional name. You said that you're an introvert. <laughs> you're, oh well, we're called the to the cake and unconventional names. But well, <laughs> for an introvert, you do know how to make these amazing taglines. You really do. Thank you, thank you, Kobe. <laughs> um, from Kim, from Kobe. We say, c'est la vie. <laughs>